Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy, presented by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome to Excelsior Journeys. I'm George Soroy, and I'm so happy that you took the time to join me here for episode one of this podcast that has been months in the making. As the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. What you're hearing right now is the first step for me. As I stated in my episode zero post, which went live last week, I've been plotting the show out ever since I took a long look at the friends that I have on Facebook. People I've known throughout my life in person or only online. Creative people who are following their passions and persistently staying on the road to success. I looked at all of them and thought to myself, these people need to be on a podcast. They need to share their stories with the rest of the world. Turns out, they would be on a podcast. Just so happens, it would be mine. I hope all of the discussions you'll hear on this show will inspire and motivate you to set out on your own creative journey. And since every journey needs a map, I have a little something special for you. On my website, www.he'sgotit.com, as in by George He's Got It, you'll see a button on the top that says Excelsior Journeys. Click on that and you'll be taken to the show's homepage where you can download your very own Excelsior Journeys to be list. Henry David Thoreau said, all want not something to do, but someone to be. And that's how I've carried myself ever since I decided I wasn't going to write. I am a writer. I will not narrate audiobooks. I am an audiobook narrator. It's that little tweak that I found very empowering, and I hope you'll feel the same way. So on this sheet, after you print it out, you'll write your name on the top line. And then on the bottom line, you'll write what you are. Are you a fellow author? Are you an actor? Are you a dancer? Are you a choreographer? Are you an artist? Are you a pastor? What path do you want to take in your life? Once you answer that, you'll use the 10 lines underneath to map out for yourself how you intend to make your dreams into reality. And make sure you share it with me. At the bottom of the page is my email address, and I would love to hear from you. So again, go to www.he'sgotit.com slash Excelsior Journeys and download your to-be list. Now, we're starting off Excelsior Journeys by sitting down with multi-award winning West Coast Swing dancer, instructor, event director, and producer of the Global Online Open, Doug Rozier. Doug was the first out-of-town instructor to lead a Saturday workshop during my first year as a member of the St. Louis Rebels, and his lessons and demeanor play a huge part in why I enjoy West Coast Swing so much, and why so many others do as well. And by the way, if you're living in the St. Louis area and want to give West Coast Swing a try for yourself, I have some recommendations for you. Look up the St. Louis Rebels, their sister club, Destination Swing, and finally, Solingo's Saturday Night Dance Body Talk. All three groups guarantee a great time will be had, and all three have beginner classes before every social dance, so you have no excuse. Go check them out. And if you're not in the St. Louis area, look up West Coast Swing on the web. You'll be surprised by what you find. 
So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Doug Rozier will be here sharing his journey with us. So don't go anywhere. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. I'm so glad that you guys are with us. When Cheryl was with me when we were living together in Queens, New York, she had tried many, many times to get me into West Coast Swing. We had tried to go to a couple of different clubs over in the city. We had tried different bars for West Coast Swing night. The only problem was when we went there, the West Coast Swing dancing wouldn't really start until about nine, sometimes even 10 o'clock. And it was a weeknight and it was at least $10 for each of us to get in. So it was very kind of off-putting for me. And also, considering the fact that every time she tried to teach me, it wouldn't click for me. Now, fast forward to November of 2011, and we had made the move from New York to St. Louis. We're living at her mother's house. The only people that I know are her friends. There was nothing there really for me. And I still remember this particular early November day as, as clearly as yesterday, but I was so depressed that I, I felt like I'd hit rock bottom. I just felt like there was nothing here for me. I was homesick for one thing, and I was also just very much like out of sorts. I didn't like where I was in my head. And that night, I was so, I'm so thankful now that I told Cheryl about this because she looked up some stuff online and turns out that there was a West Coast Swing night with the local West Coast Swing dance club called the St. Louis Rebels. And so we went there. Now, this normally for any sort of Rebels event, there are lessons and then, we go then they go into social dancing. In this case, there was a club meeting that was happening and then it went into social dancing right then and there. So there were no lessons for anyone who was brand new coming into this. And at this point, there really wasn't any need for any new people to come in because it was a club meeting and then with a the social dancing afterwards. So we were open to be there for the social dancing. And during the time that I was there, I was able to get the rhythm, but I didn't know any of the moves. And so I want to throw a special shout out to a few people that really made sure that I got out on the dance floor. And that's Dawn Descruchet, uh, Mike Bickline, and Heather Douglas because what they did was they got me out on the dance floor and they did not want me to do any moves. They just wanted me to feel the rhythm with the song. So I learned the basic cadence, which was walk, walk, triple step, 
triple step. And I kept doing that just over and over again while I was on the dance floor. And I found myself having fun. Who knew? And so jump ahead to the next Friday. I came in and I had my first lesson with Rick Gendron. And from my first lesson, all of a sudden I was hooked. It felt like everything had kind of clicked into place. And I suddenly knew what I was doing. I was having fun and I was getting it right. And that sort of momentum really built and built and built. And so we're going to push forward five, maybe six months or so at the most. There was a Saturday workshop and a gentleman named Doug Rozier and his wife at the time, Lori Rozier, they were coming into town and they were going to basically give us a workshop from Saturday afternoon to Saturday evening and then social dancing afterward. And it was so much fun. And I believe that Doug only knows now just how much of a role that he played in the enjoyment for West Coast Swing to really, really escalate it for me. So um, when I decided that I was going to make this podcast, Excelsior Journeys, I knew that I needed to have someone who represented West Coast Swing to come out here. And considering everything that he has done, Doug is a multi-award-winning dancer, instructor, and is now the producer of a very big groundbreaking type of event called the Global Online Open. We're definitely going to be talking about that. It only felt natural that I have him on here. So it is my uh, great pleasure to introduce to you Doug Rozier. Doug, how, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be a part of this. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty darn cool story right there. Glad to hear that West Coast Swing was able to kind of bring you out of your rut and you found some enjoyment in it. So that's, that's pretty awesome. I owe so much to West Coast Swing. I'm really, really appreciative of it basically just helping me kind of break out of my shell. Like I really felt like I had nothing here to do until we started going to the Rebels regularly. And all of a sudden I had something to look forward to every Friday and it became this really great social atmosphere. I made so many friends that I still have today. And so that is, that's a huge part of my life. And it was not long after your workshop that I started even considering the possibility of competing. And so um, it was because of that that led to me becoming a competitor for the newcomer level at the Jack and Jill at at the Rebels annual competition called Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. And wound up taking third place, you know, my first time competing. So, you know, I I consider myself, even though like I'm not as fluent as as you, um, as many other people that I've known throughout the years, but I still consider myself somewhat of a success story with West Coast Swing. So before we go a little bit further, I know that you can do a much better job of explaining it than I can. Tell our listeners just what is West Coast Swing? What is it that makes it what it is? Yeah, you know, it's always an ex- uh, a difficult uh, definition because uh, basically what we deal with uh, on a daily is that folks have this preconceived notion or, or understanding or just exposure to a certain type of swing dancing, and we can attribute a lot of that to uh, the Gap commercials. Um, not to say that the Gap commercials, <laughs> right, Gap no, commercials. Sorry. You got swingers from '97, right? You got Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, and you know the rise of that culture and everything coming up the way it did. Right. And then, then our current trends. You know, you've got shows like So You Think You Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars that highlight 
the more rhythmic style of swing, like jive, East Coast swing. And I think they even tried to do Lindy Hop at one point in time, but that still kind of feeds into what most people know of a swing. They picture big band, they picture military outfits. They, they just have this Hollywood generalization of the dance. What's cool about West Coast swing is that it's rooted from those dances. So there is a history uh, in our dance style that really comes from those genres and those iterations. But the reason why it's evolved to something so unique and special is that it's always been influenced by the music. So what you find with this style of swing is it's it's got a structure. Uh, I think there's some debate there as well as to like defining like a syllabus per se, but it's got a structure, but based around that structure is everyone's individual character, their style, what they bring to the table. So our, our style of swing, you'll see a lot of people come over from other genres and bring those influences into their dance, that uniqueness into their dance. So not a cut on ballroom by any way, shape or form, because I completely appreciate ballroom style of dance, but typically in ballroom, a waltz always looks like a waltz, always looks like a waltz from couple to couple. It typically looks the very similar, if not the same. But with West Coast Swing, you recognize elements of the dance, but it's always got the flavor or characteristic of the person executing those moves. Well, so if they've got a more comfortable hip hop movement or hip hop background, they bring those elements into the dance. Uh, if they have a zook, influence or shag influence that bring those elements of dance and it's constantly adding flavor and and makes our dance grow uh, so it's constantly evolving constantly changing um, but the really cool thing about it where most people can connect or relate to it is that dance we dance to all varieties of music so uh, r&b hip-hop jazz uh, country uh, so our community is very diverse i guess is a really good way to say that I've even told uh, I've even told a lot of, a lot of different friends that uh, a great way to uh, kind of identify what kind of music you hear for West Coast Swing is basically just turn on Top Forty. You turn on you know, Y ninety eight um, over here in in St. Louis, you'll get this really great variety. And as long as you get that, if, as long as it goes into that beat, which so many songs do these days, you know, right. like, you know, like it's 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 amazing just how universal this dance can be, and yet there are so many people that don't know about it. It's almost like it's, it's really kind of like a best kept secret. Yeah, you know, we have a couple of challenges in that. So like even myself, I can distinctly recall seeing a number of ads about this West Coast swing and immediately my mind always went to, well, it must be country Western dancing. So I would just never even think to explore or investigate what this West Coast swing was because I just didn't have any interest in country music at the time. I actually really appreciate it and like it now um, just because of the exposure I've had through this dance to other genres and other music. But at the time, so our general public, you know, it's really, you put an ad out there saying, hey, West Coast swing lessons. And the general public probably thinks it's a country Western type of dance, or they see the word swing and they picture aerials and acrobatics and, and jumping around. So yeah, it's, it's difficult to create that public knowledge. And then we even struggle with the, the really glorified forums like the dance contests on TV today because they try to implement uh, West Coast Swing because we we're fortunate that we have people like Jordan Tott and Benji and Kyle and Sarah, you know, those folks that are out there and, and getting into those platforms. 
but they always have to take it to the really overly tricky heightened performance side of things because it has to be entertainment at the end of the day producers are going to want something that's exciting and sometimes that exposes a dance to almost be non-attainable it's it's kind of weird how these producers really need to do is show up at one of these west coast swing competitions show up at like a u.s open or mimi in st louis or midwest westy fest or swing diego you know like so many different places and you they'll see like a really great exciting routine right but the 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 problem i was having this conversation this weekend oddly enough just kind of not in any way, shape, or form related to this conversation because I didn't know what directions we would be going. But it came out this weekend that talking with another pro, one that I admire and respect a great deal, who's had some exposure uh, to the entertainment industry, agrees and, and, and has a very valid point that our dance is just difficult to film. Mm, that's uh, so, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's just difficult to film and uh, the slot-based mechanism, the the way it does present it doesn't have that same dynamic and characteristic, which makes things interesting in terms of the Global Online Open, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Oh, but yeah. that's, kind of, that's kind of introduced some new realms and kind of taken the artistic level and opportunities and made us kind of second, I don't say second guess, I would say more just appreciate and uh, understand where we could go with this dance to expose it in a very artistic way. So let's go and take a little trip to the beginning. Because okay. I really would love to hear, what was that lightning moment? What was it that made this dance strike for you in a way that it was just like, I definitely want to learn that? When you started out, were you a, were you a dancer growing up? Yeah, so th- uh, this could be a pretty dangerous rabbit hole, so I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the best I can, and feel free to edit. <laughs> as oh, absolutely. Wish. Down hey, the this the be- the beauty about this is that you know this is this is what it's made for. Just you know, go on and tell your story. Sure. We all want to hear it. So uh, I was not a trained dancer uh, in any way, shape, or form prior to my life in West Coast Swing, but I was exposed to dance uh, in many different ways. So I grew up in Milwaukee, and I, it's probably an over exaggeration, but this is my memory is of such that we moved a lot when I was a kid in Milwaukee. I probably lived in every suburb. Again, probably a dramatization of the actual facts. But as a kid, that's certainly what it felt like. And uh, I was in a lot of schools where I was a minority. And I can recall uh, some really, really bad instances and situations at those schools. But um, the one really positive that came out of it is, we, and this is no lie, we used to go out at recess and we would do the cardboard box in the playground and we would attempt to break dance. And that was just a, a, a thing that we did regularly. And I can remember just having this desire to perform as bad as it was. Like we would go out to our campgrounds and, and my folks would have their friends over from the neighboring campsites. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in front of the fire and they're playing music and I'm breakdancing. And it is bad, like just bad. But uh, that was an exposure that I kind of felt like, okay, there's something inside of me that enjoys this. I don't know what it is, but I didn't have the childhood where extracurriculars were abundant. I didn't, I didn't have exposure to dance classes and sports and all that stuff. Uh, early on in life. So it kind of 
I guess in a way got shelved for a while. And then a lot of my passion was around aviation. So really, yeah, oddly enough. So the big trips or the big vacations for me as a, as a young child was going up to, uh, traveling about an hour and a half north to where my grandparents lived in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which hosts one of the largest, if not the largest, aviation convention in the world. And my grandfather was the chairman of Warbird Grounds. So, yeah, so I mean, my whole childhood, I'm I'm all around pilots and World War II uh, aircraft. And the only reason why I really bring that part up, because it seems kind of so irrelevant to the grand scheme of what our topic is really around my dance career, is that it did expose me to big band music, swing music, hardcore polka music, because they would have these parties in the hangars, and they would they'd have these live bands. And uh, I can remember very distinctly doing like flying Dutchman style polka around the dance floor with my grandma. So uh, that was kind of like my first exposure really to that type of music and swing. So being around that environment was really influential to me and it kind of led me down a path of having interest in those types of musicals. So my grandfather, (laughs) well, my grandfather used to play like the Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, like all those genre of musicals. So we're talking like Guys and Dolls and- Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain, yeah. So I grew up around that. And uh, again, I don't know if if it really connected with me in the way that I enjoyed it. And um, I appreciated it, but I I didn't have that desire at the moment to say, I still like, I have to be a dancer simply because I just didn't have that exposure to like, this is an opportunity for me. I never really saw it as an opportunity for me to do it because I just didn't have that extracurricular exposure to my life. So fast forward, I get into middle school, high school, and my passion becomes music. Uh, so I, be, I was a, um, as in choir, you know, your basic general choir for fifth grade, sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, I started playing the trumpet. And oh, wow. immediate, yeah, immediately gravitated to the trumpet, became first chair, which everybody in the trumpet section hated me because for some reason I had a natural ability to, for music. I could read music extremely well, very rhythmic, uh, and just worked my butt off to be the best trumpet player I could be in right away out of the gates on first chair, concert band. So I'm in with a bunch of seniors and I'm playing in a jazz band. I nail the first chair because I'm really good at improvisation. So for, for a long time, trumpet and, and band and jazz was a major part of my life. And I enjoyed the choral side of things. Wow. Yeah. So I get, told you a big rabbit hole. So now. No, keep going. Keep going. This is great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so band it, uh, it, it, and being as good as I was on the trumpet got me into a couple pit orchestras for musicals. Really? Do you remember which ones? Uh, shoot. The first one would have been freshman year Guys and Dolls. Nice. Um, playing for that. And I saw that and then I was like, uh, I was in choir. I didn't really audition. I really didn't take it all that seriously. So I ended up with like choir member 45, where mm-hmm. you know, you're in the back row, you're kind of doing the step touch, step touch. And- One step away from playing a tree. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly that. 
but now I'm starting to, to really, really like enjoy performing. Like there, here's an outlet for me. Like I'm, and I'm, I'm feeling like I'm pretty good at it. So I started shifting focus a bit from band and trumpet to drama and music. Uh, had a knack for it and really comfortable, really loving it. Uh, I think it really connect. I was really close with my grandfather. And so I think it even like made me feel closer because right out of the gate, like I said, the first show I was in was Guys and Dolls. And then next thing you know, we're in Anything Goes. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's like that, that genre, right? So it's like, it, it feels good to me. I felt comfortable. I really liked the music. I really liked the elements. And I started paying attention, started paying attention to uh, back of the house, uh, the soundboards, the lighting, uh, the staging. I was just really into the whole process. Uh, and then my the the big year, the life changing year, uh, was my junior year because um, the director decided to do singing in the rain. Nice, very. So I, I hardcore wanted the lead. You know, just because it's the lead, I wanted yeah. the lead role. Uh, but my favorite performer is Donald O'Connor. Like to this day, I still have this major admiration for Donald O'Connor just because of how, um, how I don't know, his charisma, his character. He was always a character role that was like larger than life. And he could, he could see, he could steal scenes and then at the same time know when to just take it like a step over, not even to the back, but just to the side and, you know, like, and let Gene go. But then also Absolutely. just like keep up with him and everything, almost like pushing Gene to. He could be so effective just. Him standing there like yeah. just being present in the scene uh, yeah I, so I had this huge admiration for him so funny enough I wasn't going for the Donald O'Connor role I was going for the lead because I just had in my head I really wanted the lead I wanted, mm-hmm. to, I wanted to do the title song I wanted to do all that well I didn't get it I got the Donald O'Connor role but that means you got make him laugh though exactly <laughs> and there's my life-changing moment so oh. I I'm like okay if I'm gonna do this role I'm gonna do it big and um, high school still do it to this day but it's very very common um, when I was in school that they would double cast a show so they would have like the Friday Sunday cast and then they would have this Saturday evening cast oh. um, so I was double cast in the role and so you got um, them both no so meaning I had another person playing the exact same role as me oh I see on okay. the opposite nights right yeah so so this is where this is where it gets interesting because I I loved Donald Connor so much and I loved the make him laugh scene so much in the movie. I I really wanted to up the ante. So this is the first time I ever went after learning how to dance. And I told myself, I'm gonna learn how to tap dance. Nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the time in. And I didn't at first, I didn't run it through the choreographers, I didn't run it through the directors. I just took my number and uh, got sought out help, uh, learned basics, uh, started to choreograph, got help choreographing, loved that process, mm-hmm. and then really loved the challenge of trying to build my own choreography around the constraints of the musical staging that was already in play because I couldn't change those things because I was cast mm-hmm. with someone else who was learning the choreography from the choreographers. And they were great. They did exactly what they needed to do for those shows, but they were the step together, step touch, grapevine here, jazz hands type of choreo. And I'm like, I really want to up the ante. So it's, yeah, so it's basically like you're kind of, you're kind of left to the restrict, you're restricted to the ability of the other guy who's cast with you. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily his ability. It was just more so like, you know, typical fashion. You're like, you're, you're told this is your choreography and you do it. Um, and, um, is super talented dude, uh, 
probably, a, well, I wouldn't say probably, he had a way better voice than I did for the role. Um, but I just, I had that desire to really want to try and emulate and, and do that role justice. So I learned it and I worked my butt off and I still remember the steps to this day. Uh, that's how ingrained it was. I, I probably can do half of the routine. Uh, but about uh, two weeks before the show, I finally went to the choreographers and said, hey, this is what I've been doing. Can I show you? Are you cool with me um, doing this? Uh, and they were pleased. They said, work a little bit harder. And then tech week, I, I did it again. And they said, all right, go for it. And uh, opening night, I we got to make them laugh. And I busted out the big solo tap number. And the first time at that school, and probably the only time I can remember, standing ovation in the middle of the performance. Like I hadn't even finished yet, and they were on their feet. That is fantastic. And that you, was that was. You the never moment. forget those kinds of moments. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, that was the moment uh, when I truly fell in love with music theater, truly fell in love with dance. And um, I made that decision to right then and there that I was gonna go to school for music. I was gonna be a music teacher, and I was going to pursue uh, performance. Fantastic. And I did for a while. Uh, I did for a while. So I went to a private music school in Chicago and uh, studied for two and a half years, did really, really well, really, really loved it. And, and while I was doing that, I was doing choreography for local choirs, for show choirs. Uh, I was doing musical staging for uh, shows. I was producing shows. I was directing shows. So I was really in the theater life. And so that's kind of what led me to West Coast Swing. So I got to the upper, the last year and a half, uh, let's just say two years of my school to be a music teacher. I, all the classes were symphonics and orchestrations and they're all really band focused. And I had a really hard time because it was so expensive. It was so expensive to go to the school. Yeah. And I really felt like I was not getting the education that I passionately wanted. Like I wanted, I wanted things around choral and musical staging and just all the types of things that would embody being a choir teacher and the school wasn't providing it for me. So I decided it was time to go back home. So I transferred from this small, amazing private music education school in Chicago to the public university system in Oshkosh auditioned, got in the good choir right out of the gate. But all of my general classes and even my baseline classes like music theory, I had to basically start over. I lost all my credits. They wouldn't, they wouldn't honor any of my credits from the previous school. I'm like, okay, well, I'll deal. And mm -hmm. the problem was, is like, I was bored out of my mind at that point because I was light years ahead in music theory. And here I am having to go to these classes and redo all this stuff. And my first year music theory was like their third year music theory. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so um, I got in with the local choir, which was amazing. Dancers ranging in ages from, I think, like 16 to 80. And it was a very community-based. And they had me doing choreography. So they would have some of their singers do dancing during their big numbers. So I started choreographing for that. Nice. In the meantime, I totally shifted gears and went the IT route. And basically, really? yeah. And it, <laughs> Quite and the about I, face there. <laughs> and I did, yeah. And I didn't really know anything about technology other than the exposure that I had to music composition and using um, MIDI keyboards and some, some Mac or at the time like Apple Macintosh 
programs, but I didn't know a lick about computers. But uh, I went to the local tech school. I'm like, I'm so over this. And I just went to their postings board and I just went down the line 30,000 a year, 20,000 a year, 30,000 a year, 40,000 a year. And it got to 70,000 a year starting in like two year program, computer science. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. And I ended up having a knack for it, so which is good because otherwise that could have been bad. But the long-winded answer to your question, I got into West Coast Swing because I was choreographing for this local choir. And one of my dancers in the group said, hey, my roommate's parents, like my friend of a friend, my roommate's parents mm -hmm. are hosting this dance this weekend. How about you come by and check it out? You might like it. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't ask what style, thankfully, because I feel like if I would have asked what style, I probably wouldn't have went. That's just being honest. Like, I just hearing West Coast Swing, I would have thought, Mister, forget about it. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, so it's Saturday night. And I'm like, well, I know a bunch of my dancers are there. I really should just go hang out with them a bit, check this out. So it was late, leave me here. But I want to say it's probably around nine o'clock. Okay. And I go in, and we're, it's this really kind of cool venue, like Old Eagles Hall, with this big, big ballroom, and then this balcony that circled the entire floor oh, nice. so so yeah so i worked my way up to the balcony and i just remember like like saying hi to my friends and, that were there and then looking down and it was right at the time the advanced division at this time there's no all-star so advanced is like your best of the best at this event that aren't pros right, right. so i'm seeing like jason barnes and carlos garcia and jim becker uh, stacy kramer shelly schrader all those folks at the time who are like the best in the Midwest, just tearing it up. And I think it's probably some like Prince song or something like that. Just, just going to town. And I remember how exciting and energetic and theatrical it felt to me. So, so I'm like, I'm like blown away. And then they finish and I'm kind of just sitting there kind of like, okay, now I'm interested. How do I do this? And I start talking to the, the dancer friend that I had that said, you know, her roommate's parents. I said, where are they? Do they teach? And she pointed them out. And then right before I could get to them, I'll always remember this, Barry Jones and Kate Berardino. She was a very, very prominent champion in the showcase division. Uh, she's actually originally from St. Louis. Like I'm okay. almost positive she's from St. Louis, if not lived there for a while. So right before I go down to, to talk to these, these folks to get involved, um, Barry Jones and Kate Berardino take the floor to do a demo of their showcase routine. I, I, I got to be careful about how I tell the story because I don't want it to come, sound bad, but I, they're in the middle of their routine and something goes south. The music fails, something fails them, and they stop. I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. And what impressed the hell out of me was they said, no, 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 let's go. The DJ, they said, DJ, just back it up. And they backed it up maybe, maybe 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Music starts. And they just pick up the routine right where they're at and completely blow us all out of the water. Just, nice. just awesome. tore it up. I'm like, okay, now I want to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I went down to the instructors and I'm like, um, so we have this connection. I came to check it out. This is amazing. I understand you teach. I just want to let you know, I want to do that and I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. <laughs> like I just kind of felt so confident, so passionate about this. Something really drew me in, and I'm like, okay, I want like I want to work my butt off on this. Uh, I really want to do this. I want to take it seriously. And I had never studied dance technically, even when I learned tap uh, for singing in the rain. I learned the sounds and the motions. I didn't learn technique and terms, right? Mm-hmm. right. Uh, but but I pull it off. And that was kind of my whole career up to that point. It's like, I could do musical staging really well. I could hear a waltz and know what it was supposed to look like. And I could stage it and I could choreograph it on a basic level, uh, which is really all I needed for the groups I was working with. But I couldn't tell you it was a waltz. I couldn't tell you what step they were doing. I just knew what it was supposed to look like. And I knew what the timing was supposed to be. Uh, And I could do that. I could do that on a very basic level all the way across the board. Um, So West Coast Swing was the first dance that I ever sought out and said, I want to learn this and I want to learn it right. Matter of fact, a funny story, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're at all interested. Bring it on, bring it on. Yeah. Is, is I actually danced on the Oprah Winfrey show. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my credits. Okay. Yeah. You're definitely telling us about that. <laughs> all right. So in college, uh, of course, poor, right? Because I'm, I'm paying through the nose for this school. And yeah. I'm living out of my car. I'm homeless, going to school at the same time. You can't really afford to do anything. So the thing to do back in the day was to call up the local talk shows in the area and try and get their free tickets and then go to these shows. So a few of my friends got tickets for an Oprah taping. And... Uh, two weeks before taping, we all get a phone call, all individually, of course, but we all get the same call. And they're like, sorry, we have to cancel your viewing or your taping for this episode because we've changed it to a specialized episode. And I'm like, okay. And she followed up with, do you like to dance? And I'm like, yeah. Would you, would you mind dancing on TV? And I'm like, Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spielberg, I have this, uh, this short film. You know, like, would you like to direct it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So I call one of my other friends quickly because I know she's probably on the list and she's probably going to get the call. And I was like, do this. No matter what, just do this with me because I need to have a partner. I have to have somebody with me. Yeah. So she didn't know any dancing. I knew, you know, like I said, I could fake it. I could fake mm-hmm. it until I made it. But she, she decided and agreed to do it with me. So I showed her some basic steps. And we had three rooms to choose from. Uh, and this was a holiday special. This is Oprah Winfrey's like Christmas special. Oh, wow. And she's like, okay, you can either choose hip hop, ballroom, or country. I'm like, I don't want country. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> now, and mind you, I, I, I completely enjoy it today. But back then, no. Uh, so I'm like, hip hop, hip hop sounds amazing. And she's like, oh, oh I'm sorry to tell you, hip hop's already full. So uh. like, ballroom. I'm like, okay. She goes, you're going to be learning ballroom from Patrick Swayze's wife. I'm like, sweet. Okay. <laughs> cool. <That's> awesome. <laughs> so we get to the taping. Um, I've got this Kurt Russell hairdo at the time. I've got this like <laughs> really like major military flat top Kurt Russell look. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, okay, so this is the format. We're going to start the show in the ballroom. I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, and we're going to take a, we're going to take a set of you dancers that don't know what you're doing. And we're going to teach you some steps, uh, some steps. You'll dance a bit and then we'll go off to the other rooms and then we'll come back to the ballroom segment or ballroom area. And then the folks that are here that know what they're doing, will tape you guys um, dancing on, you know, the close the show. Right. Okay, cool. So in my head, I'm going, all right, okay. 
got this. So we go out for the group to learn things. And so I'm on, I'm on the show for probably, I don't know, five minutes in the beginning, clearly like right in the beginning, right in the, right in the front. Mm-hmm. And then as we're walking back to our seats, I said, no matter what occurs, do not let go of my hand. And she looks at me and she's like, what are you going to do? So, so as we're like you're singing Michael Jackson to her right then and there. <laughs> right. <laughs> whatever happens, don't let whatever, go of my hand. <laughs> whatever happens, don't let go. So as we're walking back and we hit the mob of people that know what they're doing coming out to the floor, I turn her around and join the mob and we go back out to the floor. <laughs> and mind you, we don't know what we're doing. Right. Uh, so uh, Oprah and Stedman come on to close the show and she's doing her parting words. And mm-hmm. in the background, everyone's dancing tango. And I'm like, I look at my friend and I'm like, you're going to hate me, but we're going to do it. And she's like, no, no. She starts shaking her head. And I, I grabbed her into a tango hold and we walked clear across the room. So on the airing, Oprah is giving her closing remarks in my flat top head. My partner goes right in front of the camera to the other side. My five seconds of fame. It's awesome. Yeah. This Jack Burton look, you know, and everything. Just goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugly, not invincible though. <laughs> my ugly mug right across, and and oddly enough, they didn't edit it out. It made it. It made it to the airing. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of fun. Um, since we were talking before about you know, like about competing. Yeah. Tell us about the first time that you got on the dance floor to compete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a uh, little nerve wracking, but I will say. Um, I'm a strategist. I, I like to I like to compete and I like to try and figure things out. I think that's probably why I do so well in the IT industry as well because I like I like to plan. I like to organize. I like to strategize. Yeah. And so I knew at my first competition I didn't know a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but I paid attention to what was going on with the other contests and I I kind of got a sense and a feeling for the rhythm and cadence of the judges. And what I noticed is that the judges were roaming a lot. So they weren't seeing complete dances. And so um, I, I took on the strategy of doing less and trying to be as consistent as I possibly could. So not the most exciting dancing. Most people would probably call it boring. Right. But, but it's novice. Um, and um, one of the great things about this dance uh, from a social level or a competitive level is that if you partner well, a a basic leader can get a follower that lives within that basic and totally embellishes on it and mm-hmm. can make a dance where a leader feels maybe slightly boring, look really good and nice. vice versa. And vice versa. Right. So like yeah. you could have a leader that's really strong and take a follower that doesn't know very much. And as long as she lives within the dance or he lives within the dance when they're following, you can, you can have a really nice, very pleasing performance. So um, yeah, I'm def- I'm definitely with you there because I know that you know like as um, as um, as a West Coast you know leader myself, um, I don't know that many moves, but at the you know like that uh, many you know different um, you know different moves, but at the same time the ones that I do know, I like to think I do well, and when I have a really great follow to to match me and everything, like the the chemistry is just there because. Exactly. I'm seeing like, you know, everything that she does want, you know, like um, whenever I dance with Robin Johnston, Rachel Garrett, uh, when I danced uh, what, my first time at me at uh, meet me in St. Louis, I'm there for like maybe just like, you know, 10 minutes or something like that. And Stacey K comes up to me 
and asks me to dance. And when oh, that nice. happens, you say yes. So, yeah. and we had so much fun and she gave me like such a great boost of confidence. It was a great time. She made me feel so welcome there by doing just like what you said. You know, she was able to embellish everything that I knew and then kind of take it to like this higher level. Yep. So, but yeah, that's exactly right. So I kind of like, I, I figured that out luckily really, really quick. So my first contest, um, I, I basically hit the finals. I got a good draw, a follower that was really comfortable in her skin and in her dance. And I literally led sugar push left side, right side whip, sugar push left side, right side whip. And mm -hmm. I just stayed in that cycle yeah. the whole final. And we wow. ended up winning. So I ended up winning my very first Jack and Jill. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, is this awesome. is and this is before points, so like we didn't have the pointed events, um, so it was a you had a wide range uh, of ability in that division. So some folks that maybe uh, could have been in intermediate uh, were still in novice. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, yeah, so I learned a lot from that experience, but I also got the bug and <laughs> kind of <laughs> embarrassed of it today, just because I know so much more. But, oh yeah, but you you start you started you can know a limited amount of moves and everything. But if you do those really well, it's yeah. like what it's like Hulk Hogan got he's got basically three moves in his arsenal, and he'll be the first <laughs> to tell you that. Right, and right. say it's how I do them. Yeah, so I'm and, really proud of that dance. The embarrassment comes in where, where back in the day they used to have after the awards they would have these rooms where all of the staff members would sit at a table. And you would get in line and you basically would wait your turn to get some type of feedback or critique from the judges from the weekend. It was a really big oh, thing. Oh, that's cool. But I'm new and I'm super green and I'm super excited. And I feel like the judges did me a favor, right? Like <laughs> they were so kind to me to, to place me first. I remember, and my gosh, I don't, I, I don't even know if they remember and I'm, I'm afraid to bring it up. But Kyle and Sarah were on, Kyle Red and Sarah Van Drake were on staff that year. Mm -hmm. That was my first exposure to them. <laughs> I can just remember running up to them after awards in this little lineup session going, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, like the whole they love me, they really love me speech. Right. <laughs> I was just like on cloud nine, dude. I was just so excited and just caught the bug and really felt like I accomplished something, which, you know, I did. Novice yeah. is no, no easy feat, but <laughs> just like knowing the game now as well as I do and as intimately as I do now, it's just really funny, like how green I was back then in, in, in my behavior and my reactions. You know, I, I have some, I have a lot of embarrassing moments in my competitive career. I can remember like um, being on major highs because I was doing so well and I was so successful and then, and then I hit my first event where I didn't make a final and at the time my intent was I just really want to understand and learn something so I remember going up to the great Mario Robal at the mm -hmm. time and said hey Mario do you do you know why um why you didn't put me in the finals and you know at the time being super green I don't understand my voice inflection or how I'm presenting myself I've just been like I'm in this heightened state uh, of competition and I just really want to do well that you know it could probably come off really bad like I expected it or or or, or just I don't know how, how to really phrase that but I remember saying to him like hey Mario do you do you know why you didn't put me in the finals and he was like well you had three errors <laughs> two oh, misses no. and <laughs> one timing issue like he was very just very statistical just matter of fact you know very, like very just... fact. and I remember walking away going 
whoa, that was cool. But I know that just because I know the I know how the competitive environment as well as I do now that how that could have come across and I probably got some type of um, rep at that point of being someone who thought he was entitled or better than he was. So it's just made me really sensitive to um, how I approach things now and how I interact even with folks that ask me those questions and the sense of responsibility there is around that being a professional. Yeah, the last thing you, last thing you want is is to come off as someone who's like, don't you know who I am? Because right. you know they can immediately turn around and say no, and you know then all of a sudden there you are two feet tall again. Yeah. yeah. So I learned a great deal from that, and um, uh, you know I super super respect Mario for especially because he was such a, a solid judge and good judge that he could just off a cuff say exactly what he saw, and he didn't owe me anything, right? He didn't owe me a, a single word, but. That, that's a, a testament to who he is. So, yeah, so, I mean, I, a lot of embarrassing moments. And when I, whenever I teach my competitive seminars, it's like, it's almost like I'm doing a stand-up show because of all the things I've experienced through my career that are just laughable. And that's something that I need to say, like that played a part in your, uh, your workshop, your Saturday workshop that you had with us in me taking myself to like another level because the one thing that you really helped me with was relaxing and a big part of that was the way that you taught you had us laughing you had us into it you had us connected and you had us invested in what was going on and you know it didn't feel it no dance should ever feel like work you know like as soon as it feels like work then it's not then why are you doing it it just gave it like this extra level of fun that just made me want to keep going with it um you know there are a couple of moves and everything that i still i still remember that i i've tried to incorporate them and everything and cheryl will be like no you're not doing it right (laughs) we all do that though yeah so tell us about like that you know like when you graduated to becoming you know like as you're you know becoming an instructor like you know where people starting to look in your direction and say like teach me yeah you know um my, I have to really attribute and, and show major props and thanks to the, the local instructors at the time. So it was, it was the same individuals that I talked to in Oshkosh that really kind of, they were excited about me and that really felt um, special. Uh, they were excited about everybody. I don't, want, I don't want that statement to sound like they isolated me in, in any way, shape or form, but um, they were always excited about new dancers. and. So when we would go out to a local dance, I can remember very fondly them like going up to their friends and, and, and the, the, you know, the folks that have been around for a while, like, you have to dance with him. Hmm. And I just, that just stuck with me. And as uh, Brian and Donna uh, from, they had started the Northeast Wisconsin Rebels. So that's, that's my tie to St. Louis Rebels is that oh, wow. I, actually, I actually grew up in this dance in a Rebels club. And so that was my connection to, to St. Louis, but they were very supportive of me right out of the gate. And I think them knowing that I was a choreographer and then knowing I went to school to be a teacher, right. that I've had training and, and that I've had some success and I was traveling around and, and studying from, uh, from the grades. They, they started slowly but surely giving me the opportunity to do classes and I think we all discovered pretty quickly that because of my background in working with a wide variety of abilities and talents and a wide variety of people and ages, that I had a knack for explaining things and re-explaining things if need be 
to be able to relate uh, with the folks in the room. Mm -hmm. That that, and I'm not I'm not a trained dancer. I went through every trial and tribulation, learning the stance that everyone in that room is experiencing, and I and I try to never forget that. I try to always keep that perspective that I went through these same issues, and this is how I overcame it, knowing that my solution isn't the solution for everybody, right. but it's relatable. Like this is how I solved that problem, and this is how you should explore solving that problem. So they gave me exposure uh, at the local club dances, uh, and that turned into weekly gigs, and then caught my first big break at an event where I got hired to teach a workshop. I worked for free, of course, being brand new, and luckily got exposure to folks that were heavy hitters in the community, and I never looked back. Uh, I sought out judges training as quickly as I could, got certified to judge, sought out teachers training as quickly as I could, uh, got certified to teach. So really worked hard just making sure I did it right and just really kind of got invested into the community and it took over my life. I went from being very active in music theater and music and community choir to, to dancing, like almost nonstop, driving three hours to Chicago just for an evening dance and driving back three hours that same night. Like, wow. Just, just looking back at a very crazy borderline irresponsible things to do for this passion, right? Something that just kind of was inside of me for so long, just kind of like, all right, this is my moment yeah. and uh, I got to go for it. And I'm going to start setting my sights on like teaching and performing full time. I can remember saying to my girlfriend at the time, like, I'm going to win the open. She's like, what? You're not going to win the open. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm going to win the open. I'm going to at least place top five because that's how you get recognized. Right. And, and she's like, no, uh, yes, you can get recognized that way, but that's not what's going to make you successful. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Hmm. right. So whereas it's still a goal to get that title, it was really what made me successful was investing my time into community. Uh, and for a good two years, I think I worked for free uh, wow. at, most, at most events, maybe a pass, right? So a pass and a uh, shared room. But finally two event directors come to mind that really gave me a shot, which was uh, Bob Bozinski, who ran the Michigan Classic, Michigan Dance Classic at the time, which is why Michigan Classic is so close to my heart. And yeah. Phil Dorrell, who brought me out for Nashville Classic and uh, his events at the time. And when they paid for my time and really invested in making me a feature at their event, that's, that's when I decided to pursue full time. Wow. Seeing that sort of drive and everything, that's, that's what the show is all about. Like, it's all about, you know, chasing this burning passion and not letting it die out. And it's a tough journey. Uh, I mean, telling the stories, it's really easy to make it sound like it's something that's easy to do if you just put your mind to it. It's definitely not easy. There's a lot of sacrifices I've had to make uh, to be successful at this, but I... I it's a strong enough passion of mine that, you know, for a number of years in my life, you know, almost 20 years now, like I think I'm going on my 19th year wow. uh, uh, of West Coast Swing at the end of this year, it'll be 19 years. Um, it, it really felt like it was an extension of me. Like it, it was like one of the, like it, it almost connected as closely to me as like trumpet did when I first started playing the trumpet. Like music's really a passion of mine and uh, comfortable in it, but I think, I think because I can make music through dance rhythmically, 
Mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm playing an instrument. I still feel like I'm part of the orchestration of the music. Um, so I still have that, that desire in me. But I mean, so for a long time, it, it really felt like an extension of me, but you know, a lot of sacrifice there. Um, friendships, uh, relationships, oh my gosh. Like the, the strain it would put on relationships. And it's quite honestly put me in a position in life where like the one thing that I want the most is like furthest from my reach, which is like starting a family. There are folks that are doing it extremely well. They've got it going on. They've got their kids. They're they're together. They're invested in in this as a business and as a passion, and they're raising their family. But that's not an easy thing to do. I have mad mad respect for those folks. Yeah. Uh, just because there are so many social nuances to this mm -hmm. that you know my own um, can cause you know problems with trying to establish and maintain good positive relationships. So a lot of sacrifice uh, through the years. Uh, do I regret it? Absolutely not. Um, I, I, I do love where this dance took my life. I mean, I, I went from a Wisconsin kid who really, I never left the state border until college. Yeah. Like I never left Wisconsin until I went to school in Chicago. And then even there, it was basically just cross the border in Chicago and then drive back to Wisconsin. Like I literally never went anywhere to uh, traveling all over the U.S., Canada and now I'm getting gigs in Switzerland, in Tel Aviv, in wow. Oslo, Norway. Like to be to grow up never traveling to now having these opportunities, I, I don't regret it one single bit. And and they're like flying you out even better. You know, that's... Oh, even, way better. <laughs> right, way better. So what was the uh so then it comes to running your own events. Yeah. What's that like? Hard. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a potpourri of emotions running an event and it tailors to a lot of passions and desires of certain people to like, I like to host, I like to host parties. I, it's not beyond me to do like a, a Thanksgiving dinner and invite all of my students and cook a big turkey meal for them or to have a Christmas party and have all my friends over and, and host. I like doing that. So it tailors to that side of me, but it's stressful it's draining it's financially a massive risk yeah uh, but i still run into people today that say like spotlight was my first event and it's why i'm doing west coast swing and i fell in love with it or michigan classic was my first event or even midwest areas swing dance challenge was my first event or or this happened or i met this person at your event or that's the like the overwhelming joy that comes out of doing it all those other things add up to, to like a pretty intense stress ball, but like the release, the overwhelming joy is seeing a packed dance floor, seeing a contest that nobody else thought of and the crowd just going nuts over it. It just feeds into the person that, uh, that I am that just wants to entertain or, or host or just bring people together. And that's kind of the role I try to play in life. So the first event I came to me because uh, again going back to the same folks that got me started Brian and Donna Owens they were running the Midwest Area Swing Dance Challenge which was the event that I stumbled upon mm -hmm. and uh, through the years they they were continuing to run that event and I get more and more involved each year as a volunteer or at, one, at some point staff member um, but they were running a club and at one point they asked me to take over the club because they wanted to pursue other things and with that 
I had all the exposure now to start organizing things, organizing the club, working with the event closer, understanding some of the budgeting aspects of the event, understanding some of the logistics and operations. So I was starting to get the, the bug for it. And then they would started doing, I shouldn't say started, they had been doing a kind of informal, formal-ish New Year's party mm-hmm. um, at a place called the Fin and Feather uh, close by to Oshkosh. And it had this kind of nice quaint little room and there'd be maybe like 50 folks that would be of like the local community and some folks would drive up from Madison, even as far away as Chicago. Um, and it'd be like this nice little kind of dance with a little show and a lot of fellowship just a lot of people just hanging around and enjoying each other's time mm-hmm. and after they um handed the club over to me they handed that new year's event over to me to run so i ran it for one maybe two years in that fashion mm-hmm. and um I wanted i started having aspirations to do something bigger i'd been to a number of events now and I'd been to quite a few events that didn't run very well. Mm-hmm. And I had been to a quite a few events that did run pretty successfully, if not great. And I had held many roles. I've worked the registration desks. I've worked as a judge. I've worked as a uh, head judge. I've worked as an MC. So I was really getting to understand all of the operational. It was kind of like music theater for me in a sense that I was starting to understand how all the roles worked together and how, this machine got put together and ultimately got executed. So I, I asked everyone if they'd be cool with me uh, making the New Year's thing a, a workshop weekend with a couple comps. And they're like, yeah, we're on board. Uh, so I essentially took over ownership of that little dinner party of like 50 people, maybe 60. Right. And moved it to Milwaukee and created my business entity at the time was Spotlight Dance and Performing Arts because I had this aspiration to start my own studio and work with kids and music theater departments. And so I created the LLC of Spotlight Dance and Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I named my New Year's event Spotlight Dance Celebration. I didn't want it to be challenged. I didn't want it to be run with the word classic. I wanted to really celebrate uh, everyone and celebrate dance and Oh gosh, I remember the first year we're in this hotel in Milwaukee and we're in one of the back rooms that had like linoleum floor and pillars and like loading doors because this is where they, they did load in for all of their other conventions. And, and we have this dance floor down, this linoleum floor. <laughs> but, you know, like that was the first time I kind of did something a little risky and I was, I was doing uh, improv comedy at the time. Uh, as an, uh, yeah, as an outlet up in Oshkosh, I'm like, well, what if I get the the theater sports guys from Milwaukee to come and do the show? Um, That's so really cool. Yeah, so I did the dinner show for New Year's. We had we had the improv comedy. They involved the guests, and that was kind of like my first out of the box moment from the world of uh, what was becoming kind of cookie cutter events. The events that I really recognized as doing well all had their own personality, like Grand Nationals. They had their open Jack and Jill. That was really a really cool thing to be a part of. And Phoenix had their free Jack and Jills and their Champions of Champions division. So they had kind of their own character. And all the really big, like, nasty events of the time. Dallas Dance was, like, one of my absolute favorites. They had character to them. They had, like, this tent on the side of the 
the floor. And if you were in any spotlight division, you would get some knickknack. I have like eight Dallas dance shot glasses. Nice. Um, and they had like this tent back there with like a massage table and brownies the size of your head. Like, so like all of the, all the really big successful events had a characteristic about them that was unique and you could relate to that event. And so that's kind of what I wanted to bring to spotlight. Uh, so I took that risk of like, well, I'm going to bring in some comedians, a non-dance act yeah, for the dinner show. And it went extremely well. So I think the first year, I'm probably going to get the numbers wrong, but I feel like the first year spotlight, we had like 120 people. And then the next year it grew 20%. And then the next year it grew 20%. And the next year it grew 20%. I think I went probably eight years before I had a little decline in numbers and lost money. But lost money every year, like legit, straight up lost money every year. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm a product. I mean, like, I'm my own worst enemy in that respect because I'm like, okay, well, I could do the event exactly the same way I did it last year, or you gotta you gotta push that envelope and or, see how far you can go. Oh, I get it. Yeah, or I could yeah. hire you know higher level pros and mm -hmm. and add more elements to it hoping to break even and then wouldn't quite get where my goals were but i would say there was one year that i straight up was like in my ball in my hotel room bawling bawling mm -hmm. just like a little kid because i like oh, i can't do anything right no. um, but people were loving the event and so i just right. kept i just kind of kept kept on it and i was doing everything i was wearing every hat so like uh, I couldn't afford a, a chief judge, but yeah. I had, but I had the experience and, and I, and to, I mean, I was good at it. Like I understood mm -hmm. what it meant to be a good, ethical, fair, strong, efficient, effective head judge. So like, I didn't have the money. So I, I, I basically created a role, which was contest administrator which basically did all the work that a head judge would typically do. But during the contests themselves, I would assign one of the active judges as being a head judge to make those uh, decisions on the fly, like music cut out or wardrobe function or something like that. So I wouldn't do any of the real time stuff, but I did the head judge stuff. I couldn't afford a, a scorekeeper and mm -hmm volunteers at the time in that realm that really understood scoring and relative placement just they just didn't exist uh, and if they did they were already efficient or effective in a different role so i'm like mm -hmm. okay well i had to go to score um yeah. had a registration uh, i'm like those first couple years i did it all well i was i mean i still stay up all night i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like anything's changed, but the intensity of the workload has changed. But I would I'd literally be up all night. People would walk by after, you know, finishing social dancing at six AM and I'm still sitting in the little closet room at my computer getting things uh, completed and ready and prepped for the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, so those first couple of days first couple of years were just intense, man. But I still enjoyed it. And at the end of the day, it, it got me even more invested in the community because I, I met so many more people and had interactions with so many more people. And and getting to MC, MCing my own event feels like nothing else because you, you have this confidence around you that everyone in the room knows who you are. Yeah. You don't know who they are, but they all know who you are. And they're on this journey here with you. And I feel so comfortable in that space. 
and um, you've gone and you've you you are confident knowing that you have gone above and beyond for their enjoyment yeah and i've always said like early on in the day even i can remember like being an attendee like I was associating the feeling of an event with the character or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, the character's good. The character of the, the event director, mm -hmm. like the personality, the, like the personality of an event. Like, what does that really mean? Well, it really embodies like what, how invested is the event director in what's going on? How much do they care about its success? And then how much do they care about the enjoyment or entertainment of their guests. Mm -hmm. So I've never been an event director that um, steps away from critical roles or, or parts or pieces of the event. And many times, uh, and probably rightfully so, many times been labeled as a control freak, probably. Mm. Um, but- But you know uh, what works. Yeah, I don't like to think that I am, but I, 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 I think of it as like I'm invested in the quality of the product. And I've yeah. seen too many things go wrong at events that were outside of the event director's control because they weren't invested in that process or that decision making or whatever that moment was. Yeah. Now, now mind you, I, I gained relationships like with Vivian Hahn over the years who became a really amazing solid partner and Leah Naparstak is part of my my contest coordinator back in the day early on when she was traveling a lot Crystal Fisher because they worked with me so much they they would know what I was going to say before I said it mm -hmm. and so I finally got to that type of um, uh, relationship with my key staff that you know I, I trust them wholeheartedly not that I didn't not that I really didn't trust people before but I know where their investment is and it, it really got to a point where like, yeah, these, these folks have my back. Right. Like, like it, there's no single event director that runs a successful event on their own. Mm -hmm. They, they, and they've got to have investment from their pro staff, from their volunteers, from the, the key roles that just no matter what have that event director's back. And if you get that, if you get those people to rally around you, mm -hmm that's when an event really takes off and is really successful. And I was fortunate that um, I had really amazing friends that were peers that I hired out of the gate that always had my back. And yeah. so it really started to take the pressure off through the years. Matter of fact, the, the first tournament, uh, for those of you that are listening that maybe have no clue what the heck I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> I, there's a, there's, uh, as in sports, like March Madness, there's, there's tournament-style competition in many, many sports. Um, in dance competition, you just don't see it very often. The closest thing that I think comes to it is probably like hip-hop dance battles uh, and the way they structure their contests. I wouldn't really know because I've never really been in a hip-hop contest, but just seeing the videos that I've seen, it's probably the closest thing. But um, <laughs> so the second year of Spotlight, um, I pull all my staff members into a room and if you can imagine this conversation, I'm trying to explain to them what we're going to do. And I'm like, okay, so for the pro strictly, which is where you get to pick your own partner, mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, we're going to do these kind of heads up battles, tournament style, the, there'll be like a red couple and a 
blue couple and the judges are going to judge you right after you dance and they're like what we have to what we have to wear red you know like like <laughs> like like there's such a foreign concept and like jason make and those guys in barnes they all laugh mm -hmm. about it to this day because they all remember like that that conversation that moment at that that spotlight where we're like yeah we're gonna we're gonna do this and um if they weren't who they were to me like if they weren't my close friends and my peers and folks that had my back that idea never would have taken off because i can remember it's trying to explain it to other folks I'm like don't do that that sounds dumb like that doesn't sound like that won't work that won't work in our community that won't work in our environment you shouldn't do that um but they were all like doug if you want to do it we'll do it nice they didn't know what the heck they were doing <laughs> but they trusted you you know like right they were willing to you know they were willing to die on the sword um, for me in that moment and i'm forever grateful for that because i mean here we are shoot uh 10 years later maybe ish mm -hmm. yeah. and uh the tournament formats all over the world now uh, i'm super grateful to those folks for like going out on the limb and and, and doing that and, and executing the first tournament since we're talking about these firsts we gotta talk about the big one the main event granted this is the most that we have spoken you know this whole the whole time that we've known each other yeah. um you know it's just like our circles just haven't you know collided as much right um but at the same time like just you know knowing you as much as i do i would definitely say that that global online open talk about a crown jewel yeah right there how yeah. did that how, now you know like and since you were talking about it before i was just like yeah. that explains so much <laughs> yeah it, it, it does help to have a little bit of that technical background but you know i don't know if i still recognized how big this can be i think mm -hmm. I, I think i know how big i hope for it to be and, and how big i want it to be even in its first season it it went beyond in in terms of like what the competitors brought to the table than i could ever have dreamed but it's interesting to me because this could potentially be my biggest success and, and quite possibly maybe hopefully i don't know mm -hmm. like legacy in this in this dance community um came out of one of my absolute biggest failures in my career and without that failure i'm not sure that this would even be happening quite honestly yeah um, yeah you know it kind of kind of comes it kind of relates and kind of comes back to like how you started the show talking about like you were in a, a tough spot or a deep you know dark place and coming out of westicon i was in a really bad place like i really took a hit on that convention so tell, tell uh you know just uh just kind of you know acquaint our listeners just a little bit sure. with westicon yeah, you know, into it, but you know, like just yeah, yeah. So after after years of running two successful events and having a hand in a lot of other successful events, I had started culminating an idea to do something on the lines in our community. What would equate to like a uh, a comic con? Hmm. Uh, this this to me a true convention, right? We we refer to a lot of our dance events as events, rightfully so. Right, uh, but in essence of a true convention, if you think about like a convention you would attend as an IT professional or as a real estate professional or as uh, anything that has a major hobby. So I use Comic-Con as a really close example. Bunch of people all over the world passionate yeah. about 
different elements within the comic industry. Some folks really passionate about drawing. Some people really passionate about movies. Some people really passionate about uh, Television. models. Yeah. Television. It's like, but they all come together to this to um, to, to celebrate, hone, to, yeah. celebrate to hone their craft, to learn more about their craft, to get better at their craft, and then to learn about other people's interests and 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 moments. Like, so just an overall very community-based type of, of activity, a true mm -hmm. convention. Right. So I started culminating the idea of like, and I, I was probably, yeah, I'm not probably, I was definitely overconfident from the success of my previous events. I felt like I had a reputation of running well-organized events. People, it was always well-received. I just felt like my name had finally gotten out there and it was time to take this risk. And I spent, uh, I think, seven years just wow. putting together the details and really forming this plan to put together this this convention and so I picked a massive really major amazing uh, convention hotel uh, Marriott in Orlando mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I picked dates that uh, at the time were free and clear no other event was on that weekend I reached out to the event directors for all of the events in November like I really felt like I did my due diligence to try and set myself up for success Mm -hmm. uh, I made the weekend pass really cheap because I wanted to be uh, accessible, but then the educational pass, the, the specialty pass all had additional charges. And by the time you pick the specialty pass and your weekend pass, it was pretty much what you would spend for any normal dance event. So I really felt like I put the groundwork in and long story short, uh, a bunch of variables came into play, um, constraints that weren't present in you know, the initial planning stages. Um, came up and I just had this massive cascading waterfall event of like people canceling and canceling their rooms and oh. um, so I, I think I, it was all teed up um, to be a promoter's dream we announced the uh, event rooms hotel rooms being available uh, a year out from the event and I think the first 24 hours I had 200 room nights booked Wow. Um, we announced tickets to go on sale and in the first 24 hours had 200 some odd tickets sold, like teed up, like, all right, so this trend, like this is, this is exactly what I had hoped. Everything was, was there and good stream of registrations all leading up to the event. So like I hired eight top U S open couples. I had the best MCs in the business lined up. Um, uh, folks from the trade, like, hot like from hotel industry to come in and go over uh, with event directors on how to build proper contracts, like whole nine yards. And then uh, three weeks before the event, it just pummeled, just like mm -hmm. the whole bottom fell out. And uh, at the end of the day, ended up losing uh, quite a fortune, mm -hmm. life-changing, really, really life-changing. So it's like the perfect wedding. I always explained it like it's the perfect wedding that people that were there mm -hmm. really loved and appreciated everything about it. Yeah. Um, glory, just glowing reviews about it. But in the back office side of things, it's just dismal. Like I, I had to reach out to folks that I respected a great deal, peers of mine, folks that I wouldn't even say are peers of mine, idols of mine, or people that I uh, looked up to and emulated and had to ask them if they would cancel it on their contract because I just couldn't, I didn't know where the money was going to come from. Wow. Uh, so very, very embarrassing 
very crushing time um, to take that huge risk and have it just fail so miserably. So that was that was the West Econ attempt. And so coming out of that, as you can imagine, um, just a debt all over the place. And I had, a matter of fact, six months of extreme fear that um, I didn't know what the hotel was going to do. Like right. I, I, I had all these room nights that I was supposed to satisfy and um, like hundreds of thousands of dollars like they're expecting from me. Yeah. And so I was just dreading that call. And of course I got the call and I'm like, well, you know, like I don't have it. <laughs> you know, like this is just the this is just the reality of it. Like, like it was one of the two ways this thing's gonna go. Like, either you're gonna forgive and and forget, or you're gonna come after me and you're not gonna get anything anyhow. And you're basically just going to destroy my life. Luckily, they never. Like it was one of the weirdest things because they ended the phone call with "We'll get back to you," and then they just never bothered to call me back. Really? Yeah. So wow. major bullet dodge there, but that still still massive debt. Um, yeah, I just got away from the the hotel room commitment, but uh, in any case, bad place. I just really went to a bad place. I felt like they weren't fair. They weren't fair statements in any way, shape, or form. But I'm like, I just felt like the community let me down. Like, I I've already like through the years put so so much of my money towards you know quality events and losing money year after year, but still doing them. And here I try to do this thing for them, and so I just really really bad place. Ultimately, it ended up in me uh, walking away from my two successful events, uh, Spotlight and Michigan Classic. Really, in, in those decisions, I just want to be clear that those decisions weren't because now I had a grudge against the community. I resolved those feelings really quickly. That's just, those were the, that was the initial impact. Yeah. The decision to walk away from those events was pure responsibility. Like, it, I really sat back and thought about it and like, well, if I'm in debt, uh, I, I shouldn't be going to a casino. I should be taking care of my debts with the money that I have and not taking risks. And to me, running an event was the same as basically going to a casino. Like even though the event was successful, any given year, something could happen which would cause attendance to go down and now I lose money again and I'm already in a situation where I owe a bunch of people money. So it just came down to like, well, this is the, this is the responsible thing to do. So luckily I have good friends that took both of those events that have been by my side the whole time. Uh, so they understand where my heart was in those projects, but then they also bring their own heart to the project. So it's, it's kind of cool now because it's kind of a, a mashup of like both of us, like all three of us. So it's cool. And I'm really excited to see where those events are going, but that leads me to global online open. Like, here I was sitting now not being an event director, no money, because I'm, I'm just putting every dollar I have back into getting stable again and surviving, doing that uh, successfully. But I, I just had this urge to like, what can I do? What can I do for the community? What can I do for that's new, that's different, that's interesting, but extremely low risk? Uh, so I'm like, mm, I'm just driving in the car and I'm spending a lot of hours in the car. And I'm like, well, you know, it all stemmed from the Monday morning quarterback, yeah. meaning, meaning like there are so many people that like will critique or criticize or, or even have a, a favorable opinion on a routine once they see the video of it on social media. 
Yeah. Right? And they oftentimes, uh, most times, disagree with the overall judging, right? Like they have right. their own opinion of what the placement should have been. Yeah, they're just wondering, like, how could how could that one, you know, how could that one wind up coming in first when that one, you know, like had everyone up on their feet and, you know, like it was, yeah, it's yep. it, it's pretty amazing, like, you know, seeing uh, seeing that, you know, like my uh, Cheryl has shown me many many different uh, West Coast Wing videos and everything, and and shown me like one particular routine that just absolutely floored me, and just like they came in third, it's like what. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's common. That's everybody. I mean, that's that's in everything that we do too, right? So like, sporting events. I mean, it just everyone has their own opinion about what is good and mm -hmm. what they want to support and what they feel should win or place. So I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. Like, what kind of platform or format can provide that? And then, well, part of the issue is that it's such a subjective sport and in many times you're comparing apples to oranges like mm -hmm. routines can have completely different flavors they can have really completely different storylines they can have really so there's a spectrum that can really separate two couples and that's a very positive thing that's a very artistic positive thing but from a comparable like judging something like it's really difficult for most people to say, well, couple A has uh, impacted me more than couple B. So I'm like, well, what if they had the same constraints? What if they had the same song uh, and we put that their choreography up side by side and let the masses now have closer to apples and apples uh, to make a judgment call and ultimately support what they feel um, is quality or good. And then the third or fourth, depending on how you're counting, aspect of it was the swing content side of things. And mm -hmm. there's this big, there's always these talks either by judges or by spectators or by competitors themselves after the events about was that routine really swing? Mm -hmm. And then add the level of frustration where you go to one event and you'll have a judge give you a swing content error or warning, sorry, or violation and then you go with the exact same routine to another event and you don't get any so i'm like okay so how can i build a platform that can kind of make people voice what they feel uh, is quality and what fits our dance and what represents our dance and ultimately just through a bunch of planning and thinking about it and working with really good people like uh debbie figueroa was just a massive asset to this whole project yeah um to we culminate and put something together that I'm I'm quite frankly really proud of um, and just and I'm like <laughs> so hard not being a fan and yeah. just the whole time because like I'd get the videos and like I would immediately have, like have my reactions and my opinions I'm like no no I have to step back I'm running this thing mm -hmm. I just have to, I just have to be non-partial but I was inspired, man. I was just totally inspired by what everyone brought to the table right out of the gate. Like Jesse Lopez, just like, all right, so we got video. So how about I dance in the dark with a black light and, and really go after like what this song means. And like, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. And like, now if other competitors see this, how are they going to push the envelope? Exactly. Like, and it what? just kind of, yeah. And it just took off from there. It's just amazing. Oh, that's so cool. So cool.
Yeah, so the whole the whole premise of it was like low risk. And then I made some big mistakes too, like right out of the gate. So like I put together the business model. I'm like, okay, how can this thing be self-sustaining? All right, well, let's go. I'll do a, I, I kind of like had the mindset of treating it like, um, oh, such a mistake. Uh, treating it like um, these local Dancing with the Stars charity events, you know, like where people pay uh, and then the couple that gets the most money wins and, yeah. Oh my gosh, what a, what a stupid decision that was out of the gate. But I like, but it was like, but given where I was in the time, it's like, I've got to be able to do this and not lose money. Yeah. And so I want, I, I want to, and I should say I have to, and I want to give these competitors good prize money because this is a lot of work. Like this yeah. is a lot of investment from them. I didn't want them just winning. They want the winners just winning like $400, $500 or $1,000. I just like, they're putting together in this period of time all this like four routines, all this work, I'm like, it's gotta be good prize money. So like, okay, what's a business model that can support this? Oh, let's do pay per vote. That sounds great. Awesome. Right. So (laughs) set up the whole, (laughs) set up everything. I got everything wired up. Um, The videos local to the website, like technology wise, I was set, Uh, set up the PayPal buttons, tested it a few times. Really like everything was ready to rock and roll and we launch and all right, there's people voting. This is cool. This is great. And it also kind of keeps people honest too, because you know, like people could thought, very right? well just go ahead and keep on bang, 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 you right. know, running up the table and everything like on all these different, on this one person's votes or even their own, even right. you know, like voting for their own stuff. Yeah. So power clickers, right? Just vote, 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 vote. So if money, right. if there's a financial stake, chances are they're, they're, they're not going to go nuts. Yeah. So that first morning was like, I'm sweating, you know, sitting at my desk and I'm like, I've never hit refresh on Facebook so many times in such a short period of time, just to get a sense of what the overall response is from people. And right. there's some really positive, like out of the gate, some really, really good stuff. And then all of a sudden post pops up from an international person, someone mm-hmm. overseas. And they're like, this is completely and totally unfair. And also just read it off, like gut wrenching, truthful, like why didn't I consider that? I'm an idiot. Just matter of fact facts like currency exchange. It's more expensive for them. They have uh, different fees uh, for using PayPal. So whereas it was really cheap US side to vote, European side, given what country you're in, significantly more expensive to vote. Now, now I've run into a, a data integrity issue because a vote U.S. side mm-hmm. didn't have the same value as a vote or number of votes European side, and I Ooh. and I just like I just wanted to cry. Like I literally like just I can't believe this. I'm like, of course, I'm like I reacted and I'm like, thank you so much. I didn't know what to do. I stepped back, and then um, a good buddy of mine, kind of in the shadows a lot, but he's always got my back. He kind of sends me a text, and he's like, oh, are you sure you really want to be doing it this way? There's probably better ways to approach this. And uh, what I always appreciate from people is that if you bring something to the table, even if it's a bad idea, Mm -hmm. uh, it's so much more productive and so much better received than, you know what, I don't like that. That's a bad idea, right? But but, uh, him, fortunately, uh, the quality of friend that he is, he was like, you know what, I don't know if you really want to be doing that. You know, there are these types of ways you could approach it. And I, I didn't agree with some of them because I felt like it, it was going the complete opposite direction of what I wanted to do. 
but he had some very valid points right out of the gate. So I had to pivot. I had to pivot really fast, and I had to pivot day one. So uh, like right in the middle of the, the voting day, I'm like, I'm sorry, folks, I'm bringing voting down. And I gave myself, uh, I don't remember, I think I gave myself 24 hours to recode the entire website. And mind you, I've never coded in this platform before. Wow. So it's a whole, whole realm of syntax and operations and methods and procedures that I didn't know how to invoke. And I'm like, I'm at a local dance event, still trying to like code and rewire. And um, so a couple of days later, day later, and a couple of days later, I had to relaunch with a whole new, like, I think I, I found a, like a temporary website, uh, like an ad, like one of those ad generated sites where, you know, there's just a crap ton of ads on it, but they had a, it had a free polling system on it mm -hmm. uh, where people could, they had to authenticate as a Facebook user and then they could vote once and once only. And it controlled that. I'm like, this is perfect. So I integrated that a day later. Mm -hmm. so I'm like, okay, people, I know it's a little bit of inconvenience, but go here to vote. And people did. And it was free. And I had to get the word out. Like, okay, I've changed the model. It's now free. Um, and that was very positively received. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Um, and then I had until the next Monday to get a new, completely new system in place. And that was me doing database development on, on this web platform that I had no idea how to code it. Wow. And so it was a little buggy uh, at first. Luckily, I had some friends that could help me. Uh, I guess I don't know if you can call it a beta test since we already launched, but essentially, um, you know, user test the system. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect, but it handled the things that needed to be handled perfectly, which was people had to authenticate with their uh, Facebook account and it would control uh, only one vote per uh, user, which was like nice. the key thing. Yeah. And so you, I ran into some, you got to keep that going. You know, you yeah. Yeah. That, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That was the most important thing I felt like coming out of everything is I had to make sure I had a legit fair voting system. Yeah. Um, and so we got that underway and now, but now here I am two weeks into this project going crap. The, the budget for this thing is seven grand. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm like, not again. Right. Uh, and uh, I swallowed some pride and I started um, crowdsourcing. Um, I really worked hard to try and get advertising, found that to be more of a challenge than I, I thought. Like I have this, I have this horrible flaw of I tend to think other people think the same way that I do. Right. Um, so like me as an event director, if I'm like, Oh, you have what this online contest in these, these videos are going to get thousands of views. Of course I'll spend two, $300 on an ad. Of like, course. Yeah. Of course I'm going to do that. That's going to go way farther than any flyer I ever put on a table. Mm -hmm. uh, but not everybody thinks that way Yeah. <laughs> or, or uh, rightfully so in our market where most events lose money, it's hard to uh, invest in something that's, unknown or the intangible right so i just it was a major struggle um to get advertising that would cover the costs that i needed uh so i started to crowdfund and um it came down to the wire but uh thankfully i broke even on it so uh it, i can call it a success it was a, a really good first season that's that's awesome and 
I'm so looking forward to seeing where, where this goes. Doug, you've been just an amazing, amazing guest and a, and a, and a terrific storyteller. Um, before we wrap up, do you have anything else you would like to plug? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I think just in general, I know the exciting thing about this, this podcast and this format is uh, I was blown away by the, the variety of uh, guests you're going to have, which mm-hmm. means this is going to reach out to folks that have never uh, taken a dance lesson before or have, or, or, or like me, just didn't understand or know what West Coast Swing is. Uh, I would say if you have an opportunity, go to YouTube and just start YouTubing. Uh, West Coast Swing, you'll never appreciate and love the dance more than when you just first see it. So it's you'll enjoy it, it'll entertain you, and then find some local classes and just stick with it. It's not the easiest dance uh, out of the gate, but in the end, it's the most rewarding because ultimately what West Coast Swing brings to the table more so than any other dance is that you can be who you are and it's an extremely welcoming, diverse, and uh, comfortable uh, community and environment. So I hope you check it out. That's exactly why I wanted to have you know like uh, someone affiliated with West Coast Swing involved in the first batch of of uh, interviews. And I know that that there will be um, there will be other uh, West Coast Swing dancers, instructors, everything that I will be reaching out to. Um, Cause I would love to hear their stories as well. Like I would love to hear how they got in and everything just as much as, you know, like we're going to hear just like uh, Doug said, you're going to hear from a whole lot of people from a whole lot of different walks of life. And I am so thrilled, Doug, that you were able to take the time to be here and with us and share your Excelsior journey. Thank you so much for asking me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, for, uh, for everyone, let me just say, don't let the setbacks and everything, don't let them crush you. You've got to keep going. You never know. You're going to wind up with an idea that is truly, truly remarkable. And that's what Doug has. That's what a lot of other people have. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this show develop and to see what it can be, to see where its inspiration will lead all of us. So again, thank you so much for being here, Doug. I really appreciate it. And a big thank you to all of you who are listening here. So for Excelsior Journeys, this is George Soroy, Ever Upward. 